0: Hey, it's Taylor Harrington here. I'm the host of On Your Team, a podcast by Groove. Groove is the co-working app for creative entrepreneurs. So it feels right to have a whole bunch of conversations with creative entrepreneurs like you. We're here to talk about the amazing humans who've supported us along our journeys and the lessons we've learned so that you can learn from them too. Together, we're redefining what it means to have people on your team when you're a team of one. Let's go ahead and get to it. Eric, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to get started. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. And for anyone who doesn't know you, I'm going to give just a quick overview of who you are and then would love to hear in your words who you are as a human, and then we'll get into your business stuff afterwards. So what I know about you is that you were friends with someone named Julie Brown, who I know back from the akimbo world at my last job. And when we came out with the first episode of this podcast, Julie was like, you have to talk to Eric. He is such a great person to be a future guest. And so that's how we got connected. I know that you are the founder of Manuscripts and have helped over 2,000 authors publish their books, and some of those have been award-winning and finalists, so excited to dig into that. I know so many listeners either have already gotten through the, the process of writing their first book or are thinking about it in the future of their career and how it could benefit them. So we'll get into that later. And I know that you're also the author of seven books yourself. So Eric, tell us a little bit about who you are as a human outside of your career, and then we'll dig into your sure, career.
1: Yeah. So I'm really grateful and excited to be here. You know, I guess I would sort of say, like, I, I think I'm kind of like that, uh, that modern creative today. I, I, you know, do like kind of a lot of things that sort of hopefully all funnel up into something, but I'm a professor at Georgetown, so I teach Entrepreneurship. I sort of support MBAs and that kind of way. Um, I am someone who you know gets to work with companies and do consulting, and then I have this kind of this author community called Manuscripts that we build. And a lot of it is like I really just found like that I needed a safe place to create, kind of similar to some of the stuff that you found. So I, I have been able to do some fun things. I'd say probably one of my more fun things. So I've, I've you know written a lot of nonfiction books. So I put a book out recently called Super Mentors. But one of my fun projects that's maybe. To this personal, who I am, I have three daughters: Quinn, Parker, and Avon. They are age seven, or excuse me, eight, seven, and four. And uh, during the pandemic, we were kind of stuck, like everyone else. And uh, so my daughter's like, "Hey, will you tell us a bedtime story?" I was like, "No, let's come up with one together." And so we started this bedtime story project. And every week, every night for six weeks, we told parts of the story together. And I was smart enough to record it, and I turned it into a book. And so this was a book called Penny Moors that actually came um, last spring. And it's been remarkable. We just found out we were the, uh, the Pencraft, we won a Pencraft for best children's book of 2023. Um, we were a finalist for book of the year on Goodreads and all these crazy things. So I'd say my one of more and more fun things to do is I have got to create my own first fun story adventure with my daughters and that's been awesome. So yeah, that's a little about me.
0: That is so cool. And what a great lesson for them to be a part of that from such a young age. I'm curious, when you were back at age eight, let's say, were you thinking about writing at that age? Were you someone who enjoyed writing in class, wanted to be an author? What was Eric at age eight like?
1: Yeah, you know, it was. I'd say like, so at eight, I, I'm not sure I knew quite what I wanted to be at that point. <laughs> I the world was a little different then. But I will say I actually um, got my first opportunity to start working on um, some projects that were kind of writing related projects when I was in high school. And it had to do with like, you know, I was, uh, helping my dad at his office and one of this, you know, someone that he knew had this project and my dad's like, Hey, do you want to do it? Like they need some help. And I was like, sure. And event me going to the library and summarizing a bunch of stuff and putting together my first kind of projects there. And that snowballed. That's how I got my first publishing deal. I what someone saw the work I was doing, I was creating these research reports and uh, they said, Hey, would you turn this into a book? And I was like, sure. And so that's how I funded my college. That's how I put myself through my start of my career and then kind of full circle here. Now I get to do that with other people. But I'd say like, I always enjoyed reading. I always enjoyed books. I think like for like a lot of people, I always sort of had this idea of like, well, one day I'll write a novel and one day I'll do a book. And it was kind of cool to be able to make that one day happen.
0: Eric, I think you—I lost you at the oh. end there. You said one day, one one day I'll, I'll write a novel, and then yeah, I lost and, the last. And part I was of that.
1: excited to go, make be able to make that happen, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that is that is so cool, and it's a, and I love that you said that you're this professor of entrepreneurship. I studied entrepreneurship as one of my minors back in college. I went to Penn State and just loved the startup community that they had there, and so many of my entrepreneurship professors are the ones that made the biggest impact on me because really the gift that they gave me was like this runway to explore in my classes and not have to follow a rubric. I'm curious, you know, in the classes that you've taught, what has been one of the projects that you've just loved gifting to those college students and seeing what do they do with it well,
1: that's actually the origin story of this book community that i created called manuscripts and so uh, this is interesting so i um so you know i got the chance to sort of like teach at a university that i wasn't smart enough to get into so that was kind of a cool thing to do and so i was teaching entrepreneurship and i I'd, I'd worked with steve blank who's kind of one of the godfathers of the the startup movement and and so i came to georgetown and i started teaching i was teaching this undergraduate class and it was really fun but I found it to be very unfulfilling. And the reason was is that most people weren't going on to start companies. They'd take the class and at the end of it, they'd kind of like disappear. And so I sort of found myself like feeling like frustrated. I was like, we're doing all this stuff, but it's not leading to something. So I decided about three weeks before the class was about to begin that I was gonna do something crazy. And I, I had written two books when I was in my twenties that were transformative for me. So I said, it was a very like entrepreneurial experience. What if I just made all my students write a book? And so that was the start. I didn't know how I took my syllabus, which was like how to start a company. And I pushed control F and I replaced each instance of the word book with startup or excuse me, with startup, with book. And that was what it was. And it was interesting, like when I walked into class that first semester uh, to do this one, um, I remember I was very nervous to sort of think like, this seems like it could be a really bad idea, but I was going to try it anyways, because I sort of felt like what what's there to lose, um, you know? And so when I uh, when I told the class this one. I remember very vividly like, all right, so this is an entrepreneurship class, but your project is you're going to write a book. And I remember after like a few minutes of that sinking in for students, all the students took out their phones and started like kind of frantically kind of typing on it, but smiling. And I thought to myself, like, oh, this is a good sign. I'm connecting with them. Not what was happening. They were seeing how many days left they had to drop the class. And so it was not going very well. But what was interesting is at the end of that first class, I told them all the same thing. I was like, listen, I know this is crazy, but if you are committed to give it a try, I'll help you do it. And, and I said, if you decide to drop the class, just don't tell the dean." <laughs> That's kind of what my answer was. So a week went by and I came back to class the next week, fully assuming that like, there'd be a handful of students left. And I got to class a little late because I was stuck in traffic. And when I got there, the classroom, there was people on the outside of the class. And I thought to myself, oh God, this is a bad sign. Like someone told people like, when I walked into the class and realized that the class had tripled in size that week, they'd actually told all their friends and they'd come together to do this. And in that moment, I realized like two very important things. Number one, I realized that that humans want to do hard things. We want to do things that matter, things that mean something to us and we don't want to do it alone. And so that's really the core that sort of defined the last eight years for me is I realized that my job is to help people do hard, meaningful things, but not do it alone. And that's really kind of like what what I sort of say has been crazy. And for me, that's sort of what led me on this crazy journey. This class that I created at Georgetown was named the most innovative class of the year. I was named the most, uh, the sort of the best entrepreneurial educator of the year. I won twice, twice, I was pretty named the Entrepreneur Educator of the Year at Georgetown. Um, And I think a lot of it was because I realized that not everyone needs to start a company, but everyone should start a project. And for me, one of the best projects that we can do is a book. And I'm I'm sort of fortunate to get to do that. I've helped a lot of people go on that journey. So that's kind of how an entrepreneurship class has led to this crazy thing. Because we thought like, what if you treated your book like an entrepreneurial endeavor? And here we are with a crazy story.
0: That is the best story. I love that. (laughs) And it's just so cool to hear not only like the excitement from those students of wanting to tell the others, but also like people following through. I think one of the hardest things and Josh, our CEO at Groove, actually sent me a cartoon on this earlier today. It was like it was like two it was two different lines and people who were sitting at booths booths. And one of them said uh, like people who are hungry to do the hard thing. And then it was like people who actually will do the hard yeah. thing and the line for the people hungry to do the hard thing is much, much longer. Yep. And I think that's the the thing is you saw the commitment that not only were people then hungry, but I'm assuming you had quite the class that continued on throughout that semester, given the reputation that that class then led on to, to have. So it's really interesting being able to reach someone in that moment of, hmm, I think I want to do a hard thing and then helping them see the possibility of I actually can create structure and accountability and community around Mm -hmm. that to stick with them because like you said, that's such a hard part. Yeah, and I think
1: I'll I'll actually sort of, I actually think that that cartoon gets it wrong. I think that's the problem. Oh, okay. I think that people believe that it's just hard work. If I just sit down and work hard, this thing will happen. And what I'll tell you is that I think that a lot of what it is is that really what we need is someone to basically tell us what is the work we need to do. It doesn't necessarily have to be hard. So I think it's one thing that surprises people behind it. Many times people like, I want to write a book and I would sort of say the mass message is like, but people, if they really want to do it, they would work hard. I call bullshit. I don't think that's what it is. I actually think that what it is, is that oftentimes the people who've made it through the hard work basically don't realize that like they had some advantages, they had system, they had help, and they don't tell people. They said, well, if you just worked hard, you'll have it. And so what I believe is actually, it's not about working harder, it's about working efficiently. And so not only do we mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to give you a community, but we're going to kind of give you a framework to do it. And that's one of the things about it. Like, you know, obviously, I would sort of say books are this interesting thing. Eighty one percent of people have write a book on their bucket list. And so it's an ambitious thing that ambitious people want to do. But only one point three percent of people that start a book will ever finish it, according to the New York Times. So there's this really wide gap. And I don't think it's wow. just because people don't work hard. Like most of the time, people, they do want to work hard. They just don't know how to do it. So part of what we've learned a lot is that framework of saying, well, what if you treated a book like a startup has been really helpful. We okay. give people a way to iterate, to learn. And so it's not just like working hard. In fact, most of our authors in our community say they spend about four to six hours a week on this project. And that's it. It's not like they go off to a cabin. It's not like they like have to be this sort of you know, monk who doesn't do anything else but the book. But a lot of it is because they have a process, a framework. They know what it is. And so we kind of try to say like, listen, it's not about having just ambition or just hard work. It's about being very efficient with what you do and not kind of like telling people that, oh, if you're smart and you care enough about it and work hard, you'll figure it out. I don't actually think that's what it is. And again, I think what's important to know is yes, we need people who want to do the things, but also we shouldn't expect them to know that like how to figure it out like on their own if you give them structure, support, accountability, those kind of things. I think ambitious people don't need to just work hard, they need to have that support to work the smart efficient way too.
0: Yeah, wow. That was yeah, that was great. And I think it it's really powerful to hear that 4 to 6 hours mm-hmm. because it makes it accessible. Yeah. It makes someone say, "Oh, 4 to 6 hours" what am I doing during the week that is already taking up four to six hours? When we were, when I worked at my last job at Akimbo, uh, you know, the Alt-MBA was our flagship workshop that folks would do. And when we would talk about how many hours it would take as a team, you know, internally, we would talk about like, who are our competitors that we're marketing Alt-MBA to? And we always would go back to Netflix because that's how people are spending their time. And if they were to make a different choice, then they could use those hours towards, you know, the the four weeks of really doubling down and getting to make that progress. So a four to six hours is something that for me, I'm like, oh, I could do four to yeah. six hours. And I think that like you said, it's about working efficiently. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, so here you are, you're you've got this community around you of, I'm sure a lot of creative humans, many folks that are taking the manuscript workshops, I'm guessing are humans that are doing things on their own. Is that true?
1: You mean in terms of like, uh, you know, I think that like, are there people who are before this coming in and doing things on their own or, uh, or? or?
0: Good question. I mean, like, are most people people that own their own companies or they are people who don't own their yeah, own Yeah,
1: it's actually an interesting balance of it. I think that what I would sort of say is most of the people, so most of our community are people who are, um, you know, they're coaches, consultants, speaker, you know, they're right. knowledgeable, they're thought leaders, they're executives, or they're people who see this as part of their transition. And I think that's really what it is, is oftentimes like, yeah, listen, like I've got this stuff that I do and I've been doing some mentoring, but I'd like to build a business around it. And so it's a lot of what we talk about, you know, where our philosophy here is that we're not launching books, we're launching authors, in particular, modern authors, people who want to use their book to get on more stages, to do more talks, workshops, you know, maybe they want to get paid as a consultant or maybe they want coaching clients. So I think a lot of the people in our community see the book as a tool no matter what that tool Mm -hmm. may be for. uh, And that's where I think a lot of it, too, comes into is like, again, I think that you see people who say, I want to create a book. The question is not always explicitly why, right? I think people don't always answer that question. And I think part of what I've learned behind it is that there is something incredibly powerful about that book, right? We said that like 98% of people that start a book won't finish it. So there's the value of finishing a book, having that piece. But I will tell you, a book is a really powerful thing to change the perception of you, right? When you finish something hard and you finish something that not everyone else has you know, done, now people are like, oh my gosh, like you're part of that 1.3%. You're pretty exceptional. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. But in particular, people who want to use the book to build a knowledge business are oftentimes drawn towards us because we help people get this thing done quickly and efficiently and you know, we produce more award winners uh, than any, you know, publisher or platform out there because of this kind of process.
0: And how quick is it? How quick does someone go from signing up to having that You book? know, it's
1: interesting. So I'll tell you two things that are important. And this is part of what I've learned about. It. Remember, the first thing to know that we've found about a book is, is it goes back to this idea of I'm helping students. And so part of it is like there's the process of writing the book. That is a functional thing you have to do and you have to write a good one. But also there's the process of cultivating an audience who's going to read it. And so what we've really learned is that many times people think of those as separate things. I write the book, I publish it, and then I build my audience. And when you think about this more like a startup, like a business in those ways, we think about it differently. So what we find is we spend about five to six months developing the book with people. So we start out by really not even writing in the beginning. It's about the architecture. Like, what's the unique thing? What are the stories? Like, how do those things fit? Then we spend about four months writing it with the help of an editor. And then this is where it gets interesting and very different for us. The next step we found is if you want to have your, your book kind of reach people, you've got to build a community around the book before it actually comes out. So about five to six months after you start, we then announce your book. And the announcement is a really powerful thing we announce the book and say hey i've got this new book coming out here's how you can get a ticket to my launch event to get a signed copy here's how you can book me to come speak about it at your conference here's how you can have me do a dedicated program at your company and that idea is about building this community around your book so again it's not done done yet it's basically solidly in a Mm -hmm. direction but now what happens when you build this early community they become your early readers they get to read it give you feedback on it vote on your covers get their name in the book number one But number two, this is what gets really interesting from an outcome standpoint. Authors that do this, number one, now they have a fan base. What we find is these beta readers, on average, tell three to five more people to read the book or have you come to their company or go on their podcast. It creates this word of mouth evangelism. But the second thing is this is all something very important. And I think it's something that most authors don't understand. Because we pre-sell the book, we use those proceeds to help authors fund cover designers, editors, layout. So every author in our community owns 100% of their book. And if any of you have watched Taylor Swift, you know why that matters. Because if you create IP today and you don't own it, you limit some of your rights. Now, I'm not saying you're going to become Taylor Swift, but I am saying that like that matters today in some major meaningful ways. So that's really what we've done in it. So I would say that, you know, the goal is to be able to be public, have an announcement, build a community around your book in about five to six months. And then about six months later from there, you'll have your launch event, you'll start your book tour. So it's about five to six months to really have something public to start to get benefit from it and then six more months to have it published so that you can have that book in your hands. So it's about a year in total, but think about the announcement as the big thing and then the launch event as the next stage in your journey.
0: Wow, what a cool breakdown. And I really love the intentionality between that those different segments and especially around that launch. I think that's so important to have those folks rallying around you. And the I mean, it's clear through the data, like you said, that that really does matter. I'm curious, you know, on your entrepreneurial journey, as you have started your own thing, who is one creative entrepreneur that you know well and has made a big impact on you? Tell us a little bit about who that human is and if you can kind of bundle in one lesson that you've learned from them. That maybe listeners can learn from as well. Yeah, so
1: so I would sort of say the person that I would point to is a guy named Steve Blank. And so for those of you who are entrepreneurs in the group, uh, you probably know Steve's work. He's the godfather of the lean startup movement. And I will tell you that Steve has had a couple impacts on me. So you know, I it's a funny thing, like when you meet your hero, right? Like I, you know, I read all his stuff. I was a big fan of it as an entrepreneur, and then. I got the chance to meet Steve. And for me, I met Steve after I was coming off kind of a failed business that I had sort of been ousted from. And I'm sort of in this like rough patch. And uh, and I'd casually met Steve before. And Steve said, Hey, why don't you come down the ranch? You know, I'd love to get to know you better. Now, he didn't know that I was going through all this stuff, but he was very kind to offer to um, spend a little time with me. First up, I was late. Like I got stuck in traffic. I was late for it. I show off and still he made time for me. And we had this conversation. I remember like, You know, I had this all this stuff in my head that I was going to tell Steve Blank, help me figure out what to do. like. And he's like, basically, that's not what he cared about. He just wanted to know me, like what was going on. And I remember at the end of it, I was like kind of looking for this wisdom and he's like, you know, we should work on something together. And I was like, but that's not I wanted your advice, like your wisdom. He's like, no, we'll work on something together. And that was kind of it. Put me in my car and I went off and I was like, well, that didn't go like I planned. And uh, here's this guy that I admire and, and like didn't do what I thought, which is he's going to give me advice and tell me what to do next. Instead, he's like, we should probably like work on something together. Well, Steve knew a lot more than I did. And that what he knew is that I needed a project. I needed something and I needed a way to learn with someone. So Steve brought me in and said, why don't we kind of develop this course together and launch it? And that's what we did. And frankly, like Steve put me to work in a really good, honest way. But basically, I volunteered to kind of follow Steve around. He brought me to teach at different places. We got to launch something together at like 100 different accelerators and communities. And in that moment, I learned something really powerful, is that projects are how we build relationships and also how we grow. And that was really where I understood the power of modern mentorship. Steve wasn't about giving me advice of what to do. He was about giving me an opportunity. And that's really what I've tried to do since then. I've built on what Steve said is, when people come to me stuck in their life, their career, their business, I say, hey, let's figure out a project. And in many cases, that's a book or maybe another project they want to do. But I learned that like projects are the powerful way to learn something about ourselves. But number two, have something we can demonstrate what we've learned. So Steve really did change my life. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, I would sort of say it was one of those very, very thoughtful things that Steve knew a lot more that, of what I needed versus I did. Uh, And as I told him, I've been super fortunate to sort of pay it forward. And hopefully now, you know, several thousands of people have benefited from that one. But I will say like what I learned from Steve really has colored what I try to do now with books as the ultimate project that kind of transforms people's lives.
0: That's so cool. And I love that that development of relationship over time. Uh, Yeah, that's that's really sweet. And I think it's also interesting just, you know, to hear how is sometimes it's about what someone else sees in, in you that maybe you don't yet see. Mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the g- biggest gifts of my career has been having a couple of people who have given me the gift of a wa- runway and just basically said like, hey, here's the runway in front of you. Go do something yeah. with it. And it's like, oh, that's actually what I needed to hear versus the answer to my question. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's really cool. And maybe who is another entrepreneur that you have admired from afar that you don't know as well as you know Steve at this point, someone who either is an author or uh, someone whose newsletter you follow, someone on social media you look at. And who, who is that person? And what have you learned? Yeah, from that? I mean, I'll
1: I'll say someone who I, I really have, I think, probably not a surprise to people, but I love Alex Hermosi. And I love Alex because I think that what he really demonstrates is the power of content as a tool for us to sort of In some ways, stack the deck in our favor, and I I think like when you look, if you want to study someone that I think is really understands the power of giving content to the world, it's Alex. I mean, Alex has said like I've invested you know millions of dollars in these books and these launches, and I'm doing it because I'm playing the long game. So he's someone I really like, and I think for anyone who's thinking about creating something, um, what I think is so important is Alex thinks equally about the content itself and the audience, and he's someone that I think if you really want to understand how to Use signature content today to establish ourselves. Follow him, watch what he did with his book, and it'll change the entire way you see how you wind up using signature content to create it. And I call what Alex has figured out how to do called creating not social proof, but social legacy. Social legacy is the future. (laughs) And it's why I think like social proof is like likes and comments and things like that. Social legacy is things that people physically hold in hand and describe you as. So Alex's social legacy is much more so than his you know, tweets and videos. It's about those social pieces that he has created that often live on a bookshelf or live um, in a much more meaningful way.
0: Wow, very cool. And what does your online content that you're creating look like these days?
1: So I, I think a lot about long form content. So I would say I, I'm constantly writing a book. I believe that like it's part of what I do is I believe in this idea of like releasing signature content every year. So I'm putting out, you know, sort of books in that way. Um, But I think a lot about long form things. So I try to put pieces together that are thousands or, you know, of words and usually break them down into smaller pieces. So that's really how I I think about it. I think that the more you can have something that is big and meaningful and meaty and then break it down into smaller ways, the better. Um, Because I think sometimes people imagine like, you know, people are going to discover me through my book. They're going to discover you from all the smaller pieces that then lead to the book. So I think about it from small form. Con- so it takes build long form, deep signature content, break it down to smaller pieces and know that that's how people will discover um, the bigger pieces about you.
0: Great. Yeah. It's like tasting a little appetizer before you get the yep. full meal. <laughs> cool. Eric, this was so great. How can listeners follow your work and check you out after listening to this episode? Yeah. I mean, listen, I
1: think the first thing I'll say is, you know, I'm always happy to talk to people who are finding themselves wanting to create. Right. And so if you want to create a book, um, if you, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll give you the link so you can sort of share it with uh one. Well, I, I always believe that oftentimes what I what that most people need is what I got. Steve Blank spent 15 minutes with me and changed my trajectory. So I make it my mission to spend 15 minutes with anyone who needs in those ways to talk about how they could do it uh, in that way. So certainly help you do that one. Manuscripts.com is kind of the, the community that we run. We run these programs really throughout the year. And then, yeah, I mean, I think like I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Thankfully, my name, my last name is spelled weird. So I'm the only one that like pops up in most things. But I use LinkedIn, I use Twitter, I use Instagram, I use TikTok wherever I can and I have books that are out there too. So follow along and I'd love to be a part of your journey.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks for being a part of ours. I really appreciate it. And once again, shout out to Julie for the recommendation. Or so thanks, Eric. Hey, it's me again. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day for this conversation. If you're feeling inspired after today's episode, I invite you to thank someone who's made a big difference for you. Send them a note or give them a shout out on social media. It would make my day and probably theirs too. If you want to start grooving, visit Groove.ooo like out of office to co-work with some of the cool guests on the show and other creative entrepreneurs like them. If you liked this episode, spread the word and be sure to tag at Groove Co-working so we can give you some love back. As always, I'm sending you good vibes and high fives.